720 WGN, a very happy Saturday afternoon. Thanks for giving us some of your time here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. And we got a lot to get to this half hour. We got uh, Jonathan Merrill from the law offices of Jonathan Merrill joining us now. Jonathan, I, I always say it. It's great to have another Jonathan on the program. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here, John or Jonathan. Yeah, I, it's a. I am a Jonathan, a J O N A T H A N, just like you. But very right. early on, my friends and my family called me John John. Like when I was a little kid, I don't know if you got John John a lot when you were younger. I got Johnny or John John sometimes. My mom, but yeah, um, my parents never like when they still don't like when people call me John. Yeah, same like, here. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> You should have foreseen this, that Jonathan yeah, would get I mean, shortened to John. I kind of wish I went by Jonathan years ago, but it's too late now. I'm 37. The die is already cast. Everyone knows me as John, except my mother, who she really calls me Jonathan. She'll just call me Jonathan Charles, the whole name. So anyways, uh, we're here to talk about family law, not about <laughs> our names. How's everything going? I mean, I imagine it's been, and we've talked about this before, it's been an interesting couple of years. I know you guys have had to navigate that tough world of things being on pause but things getting back to normal for the most part you're able to see clients get into court do all that sort of stuff yeah you know what it's slower it's a slower transition than i thought back into it because you know some of the collar counties like will county and lake county dupage county they're having people in court a little more but like downtown at the daily center you know where we do a ton of our work it's still very limited in what um Judges are allowing, you know, some judges are all about, you know, coming to court, but the vast majority of them are kind of sticking true to like the COVID protocols, doing a lot of court appearances via Zoom. So the vast majority of our stuff is still via Zoom, despite, you know, the numbers going down. So slower, it's a slower kind of reintegration than I thought it would be. I know that family law is way different than criminal law, but every criminal lawyer or I talk to is like, I hate the Zoom because they love in cross-examination to be able to see someone's face. But I just am curious for you, do you like the Zoom? Are you okay with that? Or do you prefer to be in person in, in, in court for these situations? You know what? I mean, I, I miss being in court because, you know, it's just kind of just the general feel of being in a courtroom where lawyers you know, who have been doing it a long time or just accustomed to doing it. Not that I haven't gotten used to Zoom, but you cannot replace that feeling of, you know, staring at a judge, kind of, you know, using your body language in front of a judge. And certainly when cross-examining a witness or taking your own witness's testimony, you really can't replicate that, you know, sitting at a computer screen. So, yeah, I miss it. I miss the kind of the camaraderie of the courthouse where you're kind of running into other attorneys and kind of talking about cases that, you know, you wouldn't ordinarily talk about when you're on Zoom. It's kind of you're in you're, you're they call your case and then you log off and you're, <laughs> you know, you're not in the halls of the Daily Center. So yeah. it's definitely completely different. And business just gets done differently through Zoom. So but you guys good adjust. or bad, it's just a yeah. different, different. For sure. Hey, I went to your website, which, by the way, I want to guide everyone to if they have any family law issue they need, chicagodivorce.com, although it's you know more than divorce as well. But one of the first things I did when I looked at your profile, you have skilled negotiators right off the top as a listed part about why your law office stands out amongst others as well. Talk us through that because I know a lot of people – want to settle things amicably or at least settle things before they have to reach kind of the meaty part of the trial, right? Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think all lawyers owe it to their clients to see if there is a path to settling cases out of court. One, first, because of the cost and two, because of the stress. I mean, obviously, heavy litigation is, you know, very expensive. It takes longer. And at the end of the day, when you litigate, you're taking the decision out of your hands and putting it in the hands of a judge who, frankly, has, you know, hundreds of cases. And you're asking this person to make decisions about your family, your children, your financial issues. That's a lot to, you know, that's a lot to put on a judge. And that's scary from um, a litigant's perspective. So, I mean, if you have the ability to negotiate a settlement where you have control of the outcome and in the process, you know, maybe save some stress and some money, I think, you know, lawyers owe it to their clients to pursue that avenue before, you know, litigating and throwing down the gauntlet. At the same time, sometimes you have cases where, you know, settlement's just not an option, right. whether it be the issues or the parties involved or even the lawyers on the other side involved. Sometimes, you know, you're going to litigate and, you know, we're very skilled litigators as well. But I think a good attorney should try to resolve his case outside of court before, you know, going into court. Do you think that settlements also set up a better foundation for, look, this is not done as soon as things are signed in a divorce. Obviously, there's custody stuff. There's way other issues. Do you think that a settlement lays a better foundation for what happens afterwards for years to come too? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it leaves a better taste in the mouths of the parties and kind of sets them up for success. Again, it doesn't always happen. Right. Something could come up down the road that throws that off track. But yeah, I mean, parties who finish a case by resolution and signing an agreement, as opposed to, you know, going to war at a trial and waiting for the judge to issue a ruling, I think it certainly sets a better tone for, you know, after divorce, especially with their relationships with themselves as it pertains to the kids. I think it's definitely, you know, a healthier route to pursue when you settle a case by agreement as opposed to, you know, getting a ruling from the court. I just I just feel that a lot of listeners who may be going through this stressful thing are, are worried that a lawyer might, you know, smell blood in the water and want to take this thing all the way to the end. Not that you guys couldn't, but it's nice to know that you guys approach this as, hey, we want what's best for you, for for the kids, whatever it may be. And people can go to ChicagoDivorce.com and read more about uh, what you do. I want to get into this a little bit before the break about grounds for divorce. I've heard this a bunch, Illinois being a no-fault state. Can you explain what that is for me and other people? Yeah, well, in the past, you know, the antiquated way of going through a divorce is you had to prove a grounds for divorce. Was it infidelity or fraud or, you know, there had to be a reason for the divorce. And, you know, you basically, people would get caught up fighting about the grounds of the divorce before they even got to like the substantive issues, like the nuts and bolts of like the divorce itself. So the court system would get really clogged up with fighting about who cheated on who, or what is the reason why these people are getting divorced and try to assess blame for the breakdown of the marriage. It just became um, pointless. At the end of the day, you've got, you know, whether it be one person or, you know, two people, um, one of them, doesn't want the divorce or the other doesn't want the want the marriage at the end of the day this marriage is not working and instead of fighting about why these people are getting divorced the court wanted to just focus on look these people the marriage is broken down let's figure out how to divide up their money address the issues related to their children 
And we don't care about the fault. So Illinois became a no-fault state. So before, you know, when you had to talk about fighting about the grounds for divorce and, you know, what's the cause for the, the divorce happening, all that is not longer addressed in court. Someone files a petition for divorce, the court's going to dissolve their marriage. So it just kind of get right to um, resolving the pending issues instead of fighting about why the divorce is happening and assigning blame. Um, the court can't assign blame if it's proven that, you know, not that it would even be relevant, but if one person, you know, was in unfaithful, they can't be, you know, they, they won't get a worse outcome in the case just because they were unfaithful. The court can't assign blame and they just decide their case um, the same way, no matter what. I want to ask a one more follow-up question, but we're due to a break. Jonathan Merrill here from uh, ChicagoDivorce.com, 312-408-7000 is the number to reach them. Let me say it again, because that's what we do in radio, 312-408-7000. More with Jonathan Merrill of the Law Offices of Jonathan Merrill after this on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Back here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, joined with Jonathan Merrill from Merrill, uh, the law offices of Jonathan Merrill, and uh, you can reach him at chicagodivorce.com, 312-408-7000. We were talking about no-fault divorce before uh, and how the court can assign you know, who's at fault or not, but ultimately this just means that they just end up splitting everything, right? Like they, they don't they don't weigh that into the decision of how they right right so like if people think oh i'm going to get a much better outcome because he or she was at fault that's not what ends up happening right right a lot of people come in thinking well you know my husband cheated on me or my wife cheated on me is that going to entitle to me to you know a more favorable division of the assets and when you have a no-fault state like illinois which is the trend in basically every state um again you can't you're not going to get more because the other person cheated on you. Um, the court has the same standard, which is called an equitable distribution of assets, not equal, equitable, which means what's fair. But the court can't take into account, you know, um, you know, fault in determining what is equitable. I find that interesting because I imagine that does empower some people to seek divorce in a situation they want out of, right? And they don't have to provide necessarily a reason. But that also does provide an interesting angle for people to try and maybe work it out a little bit longer. I don't know. Does it does it tip the scales one way or the other? Or does, is, is it just still that's an individual decision that people or an individual needs to make and they really shouldn't, you know, worry about the specifics of Illinois law before determining to get a divorce or not? I know you're not a psychiatrist. Yeah, here, I mean, I, I think I think by the time people are ready to file for divorce, there's a plethora of reasons why, you know, by the time they get to me, um, <laughs> you know, things are not good. And by that time, you know, something's gone wrong to the point where they know the marriage is not salvageable and the divorce is inevitable. So that's my point. Like, you know, if they if they're calling me, they're really whether they're thinking about the law or not, they just know they're in a relationship that they have to get out of. And, um, you know, the answer is typically filing for divorce. Three one two four zero eight seven thousand is that number. So, Jonathan, you don't want call, people calling saying, should I do it or should I not? But I imagine you do don't mind when people call and they're they're at that point and they just have questions, right? Because for a lot of people, this is a uh, if this is their first divorce they've and they don't have much experience with it. They're going to have a lot of questions and you can at least help them start preparing for that moment. Right. Right. And a lot of. Yes. And that's my job just to educate them about the process, about the law. 
you know, taking the facts of their case and kind of telling them, you know, giving them an idea of what to expect. But a lot of, a lot of clients call and just say, well, should I get divorced? And that, you know, that's not a question I could ever answer. It's <laughs> right. a personal question and it's a big decision. So I would never, you know, tell someone you have to get divorced. Um, you know, even when someone's in a bad situation, I mean, it's obvious that the person should not remain in the relationship, but I personally don't feel comfortable telling someone that, you know, you need to get divorced immediately. That's a decision they have to make. And like I said, usually by the time they call me, they probably know that it's something that they probably need to do or should do for the best interest of their family. But I personally am not going to say, yes, you have to get divorced immediately. You don't have tarot cards on the other side and you're going to give people a (laughs) reading? Come on, John. I thought this was full service here at Chicago Divorce. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe. That that would be interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I wanted to ask, so what do you tell people first after you maybe get to the point where they've decided this is what I'm going to do? There are some steps that they imagine they want to take just from a financial standpoint to start making sure they know where the money is. I hate to put it that bluntly, but like that is, a, I imagine a first step that your team is able to start, you know, investigating, right? Yeah. And, and often in many marriages, you know, you, you have one person who's kind of in charge of the finances and another person who, you know, is not. So if you have the person who's, you know, not privy to all the finances, um, you know, that's a tough task saying, you know, try to locate all of your assets and money. And, and many of them, you know, that's, that's not something they can do. And of course, that's my job. And the job of my firm is when you take a client like that, who doesn't have a ton of access and information about the finance, it's our job to piece together, um, you know, what is there and the origins of money and if money's moved around. So, you know, while one person be easy to kind of locate all the finances and know where everything is and what accounts there are the other person it's not as easy and you know we're obviously experts in making sure we track money and trace money and put together a balance sheet that you know comprises all the marital assets and liabilities i i imagine in some ways it's gotten easier because we all use digital stuff but the introduction of cryptocurrency adds extra angles. So there's, oh, yeah. it's always changing, right? And that's why you need an experienced team because you have a team that can help kind of can, can look for this stuff. You know what you're looking for. Right. Yeah, we have a great team, tons of experience and um, a great support staff. So um, between our attorneys and our paralegals and um, law clerks, we, uh, we've got a great team that we put together for all of our clients and um you know, we get the job done. All right. That's a, well, you ended perfectly where I needed you to end right there, Jonathan Merrill. You're right on time. Can you hang around a little bit after the news? I want to ask you a couple questions about alimony and stuff like that. Okay. Great. Or maintenance as it's called now. I should use the correct term. All right. So more with Jonathan Merrill, by the way, if you want to reach him, 312-408-7000, Chicagodivorce.com. We're going to take a break. Then we're going to have the news from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Then more with Jonathan Merrill here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. 720 WGN, a very happy Saturday afternoon. 
I know we're in April. I bet we wish it was 70 and sunny, but that's not what we have today here in Chicago. But that's okay. We're uh, muddling our way through it. In a little bit, we're going to have Audrey Anderson uh, on the program to talk about all the dumb things that kids do. And I, I laugh because we used to do a lot of dumb things when we were kids, too. It's, it's just treated so differently right now. And Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors is going to stop by to kind of tell you what every parent kind of needs to know for some of these circumstances. But right now, I'm joined joined by Jonathan Merrill. We're continuing our conversation from the law offices of Jonathan Merrill, uh, chicagodivorce.com. And Jonathan, I wanted to talk about maintenance is what it's called. That used to be alimony, right? That's how the term has been changed Correct. a bit. Okay. Um, yes. So how does it get determined? I know that's a real blanket question, but I imagine you can at least give us some guidance. Sure, sure. So, you know, maintenance formerly known as alimony, people also hear the term spousal support, um, you know, that's, that's awarded to, you know, a certain spouse who comes in a certain situation, obviously, you know, the, the premise behind it is that there was a spouse who, you know, kind of, uh, did not move forward with their career and stayed home and took care of the children while the other spouse went out and furthered their career and made more money. And, um, there was a divorce after a period of time and there's a disparity in the party's incomes and earning capacity after that time, the higher earning spouse would owe an obligation of maintenance to um, the spouse who, you know, never went on and furthered their careers. That's obviously the theory behind it. Mm -hmm. So once the court establishes that someone is a maintenance candidate, then um, the court has to decide, one, what is the duration? How long will the maintenance be paid? And two, what is the amount? Um, and in order to do that, they look to Section 504 of the Illinois Marriage and Dissolution of Marriage Act, not to bore you with the law, <laughs> but um, if the party's combined gross income is under half a million dollars, they apply a specific formula, which basically takes um, 33% of the payer's net income less 25% of the receiver's net income. So, you know, if you had someone making $250,000 and you had the lower earning spouse making $50,000, you would take, you know, one third of the $250,000 net less 25% of the $50,000. Well, let me get my let's get legal uh, chalkboard out here uh, in the WG right. radio studios. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of complicated. But it's a formula. They, they, they it's it, a formula. It's plugged in. There it's is a formula. Is there leeway? Can a judge can a judge step in and change it or adjust it, or is it you stick with well, this? First, this is all you know. Obviously, this is a guideline, and it could be modified by agreement of the parties. Okay, the parties wanted to go outside the guidelines, or if the combined gross incomes of the parties was in excess of five hundred thousand dollars, the court has discretion to kind of analyze um, the outcome how they wanted. So, you know, it, it's a guideline. It will be applied if you went to a trial and the court had to assign a number. Um, but obviously the parties and their attorneys can agree to other numbers. So that that's the amount. And then obviously there's the duration. How long will this be paid for um, subsequent to the marriage, you know, ending? So the, obviously the main rule of thumb is the longer you're married, the longer the support will be paid for. So every year that you're married, there's like a multiplier that increases. Once you hit 20 years of marriage, it's considered permanent maintenance, which means 
it will likely be paid until there's very there's a substantial change in circumstances. Obviously, the other terminating factors for maintenance are the death of either party or if if the party gets the party receiving the maintenance gets remarried or starts cohabitating with another person that will also terminate the support. And that's why the law offices of Jonathan Merrill have a mathematician on staff ready to go or just a really big calculator. (laughs) No, it's important to know, right? I I think people need to understand that before they go in. And I think you've just accentuated the point of why you need professional representation to fight for what you need and to make sure that the correct formulas and everything is applied to. Uh, Jonathan, we could go on and on, but unfortunately we're out of time, but thank you for that breakdown of stuff. And really, uh, 312-408-7000. 312-408-7000. People should call that number if they're really seriously thinking about divorce so that they can really start getting on the right track, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And John, congratulations to you on your Hall of Fame induction. Oh, uh, thank you. Yes, for those that don't know, Illini Media Hall of Fame induction. Yes, they just they want more money, but the joke's on them. Uh, ChicagoDivorce.com <laughs> is where to go. No, they're a great organization. Shout out to WPGU, my college radio station. And Jonathan, thanks for the kind words, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. As always, it's a pleasure. Audrey Anderson next here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN.